try to come up with and remember three words if you were to describe your state of mind this week and coming into this room right now. Like, could be really specific, it could be broader. Um, three words that describe your state of mind after this week coming into this room right now. I'm gonna invite Noah, you can read for us. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then you can be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be brought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of feeling careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even closer into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't, don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Thanks, Noah. Uh, will you all pray with me? Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I love that paraphrase from Eugene Peterson. Uh, maybe you've never heard these beatitudes in that way. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe it made you question, like, what, what is he referring to there? And I need to go back. So we'll get back to that in a minute. But uh, I feel like this is one of those passages that is so fundamental. It might even be our constitution as a church kind of passage. Um, but it might be so familiar that that uh, we don't see it anymore, we don't hear it anymore, we've sanded down its sharp edges. So I, I wanna kinda just mention a few things first. Um, maybe a few questions that we have or a few definitions that we need to hold in common. First is uh, blessings. This is called um, a beatitude, that is like a, a fancy Latin word for blessed, for happy, for rich, 
in speaking these blessings, Jesus is beatifying. He's making good. He's making true. He's making beautiful what we mostly see as bad or false or ugly. So what gives? Who's right? Is Jesus right or are we right? Is this world right? What is going on here? And why can't we often see the same way that Jesus sees? So that's, that's the first thing. Second, didn't come through in this paraphrase, but um, it, a, a lot of times uh, when we first uh, read the Bible or, or come back to the Bible and we'll notice, uh, especially uh, our family is reading Bible in a year, um, and uh, you, you start to notice some differences in the Gospels. How, how Luke's gospel talks about the kingdom of God, but Matthew's gospel talks about the kingdom of heaven. What is going on with that? Right? And so it's, temp- it's tempting some ways to, to take these words of Jesus and, and just kind of cast them off into some other place, this kingdom of heaven. Even if, even if Jesus is promising to bring this kingdom of heaven close to us, it still uh, seems like it comes far like from far from us. But uh, we need to kind of reclaim that term, the heavens, even in Matthew's gospel. It's good news to us because the heavens are actually all around us. Heavens for Matthew is atmospheric. Heavens are not some place that's far away or some time that is distant from us, but it, it is something really near to us. The, the birds and the clouds are in the heavens, but so is our breath. And so is the breath between us, is the heavens. It is this surrounding, permeating, atmospheric place. So Jesus' words and his ministry demonstrate that God's action, God's work, God's kingdom is that close. The kingdom of the heavens is at hand, is within an arm's reach to us. And it's also kind of that elusive as our breath, as the air. Because God has come to us to be with us, as Mark said, always with us, always so close to us. Because that has happened and because this kingdom is coming, as Jesus prays, on earth as it is in heaven in Durham as it is in heaven, in Lakewood as it is in heaven. This, this place, these places are being reclaimed for God's kingdom. The kingdom of the heavens is at hand. And I guess the last question is kingdom. It's, it's kind of a weird thing to be thinking about in America, despite how many Anglophiles that we have. It might take some redefinition and some reclaiming for us. My kids right now are really into Hamilton. Who's into Hamilton or who has been into Hamilton? We're always a little late. We're like a year and a half back. And I sometimes wonder if our image of kingdom, like kingdom of God, kingdom of heavens, like automatically like he's closer to to a king like King George III, like this petulant king in Hamilton. Does... Do you guys know this king? It's like one of the best characters ever. It's an insane character. It's so good. 
he swings back and forth between like veiled and not so veiled threats and the beauty of a musical as it happens in sing song, right? You don't always know how mean and cruel and violent he is if you didn't listen deep for the words. And when we have a, a King George III kind of image of God, this God of a kingdom, we also get a sort of kingdom like that, a kingdom based on kind of theologies that might say in nice words <laughs> some really mean things or might try to show God's love to you by killing your family and friends to remind you of my love, right? Like that's, that's what happens. So the king matters. Who and how God is matters for what this kingdom is like. Uh, Dallas Willard talks so much about the kingdom. I think there's a slide, Matt. This is how he defines the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is just simply God reigning. It is present wherever God, wherever what God wants done is done. It's the range of God's effective will. It's the news that makes lovely feet is that your God reigns. God is here, and what God wants is happening. And so that's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. The character of God's kingdom is wholly dependent on the character of God. A violent, sullen king gets the sort of kingdom that you have to coerce. You have to put walls up and moats to keep people out or to keep people in, and violence and exclusion is, is how you operate that. Question askers are taken as threats. On the other hand, though, if you have a generous king, if you have a kind king, if you have an ultimately secure king, this king brings peace, brings security, brings an imagination for the flourishing of all, for the richness of community. This is a kingdom of intimacy. It's a kingdom of hope. It's a kingdom of restoration. Maybe this is a little bit about what Dr. Martin Luther King was talking about when he talked about the beloved community is another word for this sort of kingdom of God. It's a gathering of people where no one is considered a threat and we can even move beyond just the basis of security towards joy and mutuality and solidarity and family. So think back to your three words that you came in this room with. Think, think back um, if those would be words that you would want to ever share with someone. Um, think, think about what they say about um, how you're experiencing God right now. Think about your imagination for whether or not God cares about those things that you are carrying and caring about. Something like that is happening when Jesus preaches on this hillside. Uh, I, I love the, the words and the message that Noah read uh, about these fellow climbers committed to hear these words of Jesus. So these people get to Jesus and they can't uh, wait to hear what Jesus is going to say. And Jesus addresses them and he addresses them exactly with who they are and what they are carrying that day. In some ways, this is a, a show-and-tell sort of sermon from Jesus that has become the basis for our kingdom imagination, Jesus' words. 
he looks around the room and he sees all of the people with all of the characteristics listed in this sermon. And there's a shape to these blessings. Matt, I, I put up a more conventional reading. There's a shape. You can see from start to finish, there's kind of a shape to these things, um, what they're saying and, and, and how they're moving. And so I just want to touch on a few of these and, and maybe, maybe bring them out in, 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 uh, in our lives and, and what is going on around us. First, Jesus pronounces a blessing. I, I imagine he looks out and he sees people who will barely make eye contact with him, these crushed, these poor in spirit, and he promises them the very kingdom of the heavens. The kingdom of God is to be theirs. Dallas Willard also said, he said that when, when Jesus was saying this, he said he was basically saying, blessed are the spiritual zeros. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, the deprived, the deficient, the spiritual beggars. Those without a wisp of religion is who is, he's pronouncing a blessing. He says, when the kingdom of heaven comes upon you, and the kingdom of heaven was coming upon them by Jesus' presence. This should be great news to many who are in this room and many of our neighbors, that Jesus doesn't just tolerate spiritual zeros, so to speak, but blesses them, welcomes them in, includes them, highlights them. Jesus pronounces the empty ones blessed because they are, or sometimes even we are, in a better position to receive from God. This is one of the reasons it's so important that we come to this table each week with empty, open hands to receive from God. The, the world would say that you are disqualified because you aren't strong enough or smart enough or because you've gotten the spiritual wind knocked out of you, but Jesus looks at you and simply says, blessed, blessed. And then there's, there's movement and he says, blessed also are those who mourn. Maybe this is too close to us this week. I think of, of the mourners in Memphis and all around our country for Tyree Nichols after five now former police officers in Memphis snuffed out his life. Or the horrors and sadness of the Chinese community last week when people were killed, more than 10 killed and more than 10 wounded for a Lunar New Year celebration in Monterey Park. And then another shooting just miles down the road afterwards in Half Moon Bay. We gather from this sermon on this hillside that Jesus chooses to be present with some folks who have been through some stuff, maybe who were currently in that stuff. And Jesus is close enough to them, he's close enough to us to see the tear tracks in their eyes and to say, Bless are you. Blessed are you, you will be comforted. That comfort will come and that comfort is here. And then the sermon moves to, to blessing the meek. It says, blessed are the meek for you will inherit the earth. This, this is not a natural state for us. Howard Thurman says, it cannot be denied that too often the way to the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and oppressed. This despite the gospel. 
you would say this is a bug and not a feature of the gospel, this sort of forgetfulness. I imagine Jesus looking out into the crowd, again, with those folks who don't make eye contact, those non-confident students that don't want to be called on, and him just holding their gaze until they looked up. Maybe it was even a little awkward. And he lifts their heads to make sure that they know they're seen and they're included and they're important and they're not crazy. And they will indeed run this place. (laughs) Blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the kingdom. Jesus is like the the anti-gaslighter to these folks who have been mowed over and cast aside for the ones who are hurried to jump into the role of rightful heir. Jesus reminds them in case they forgot that they are more or at least as much as anyone blessed. Blessed. Then comes the dead center of this passage. Uh, You you can see this, this movement. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. This is the intersection. It is the collision. It is the heart of this sermon. Righteousness and mercy together. The true character of God's available and coming kingdom. Those waiting and hoping and starving for righteousness will be sated. There will be a feast. But that's not an invitation to harden down or to hunker, or to circle the wagons. It is an invitation also to stay soft, stay permeable, show mercy, even when it doesn't seem like it's working. Even when it seems like showing mercy only gets you left out or crushed or beaten down. We do this because God is this. The exact combination, the collision, the intersection of righteousness and mercy. Complete righteousness, complete mercy. So even in your incompleteness, when you don't get this right and you swing from pole to pole of like way too righteous or way too lenient, even when you are trying to practice these things and practice being how God is and being empowered by God's spirit to become more like Jesus, when you are doing that, and these are often small things, they're being merciful to the people closest to you, is being righteous even when it's hard. Even when you're doing those things, you're doing divine things. You're doing things like God. And despite all of the evidence to the contrary, when you try to do those things, Jesus says you are blessed. And then Jesus talks about the pure in heart, that they might see God. See, Jesus knows as well as anyone the pains of being pure of heart. I wonder if this particular blessing to be able to see God isn't because of how much of a distortion it seems like the world is when your heart's pure. That willing one thing often means being made to feel simple or stupid or left out or slow. Like purity of heart is not easy to come by in a world where our hearts are aimed and misfiring all over the place. 
And remember, purity of heart, it doesn't mean perfection. It means focus. It means focus. It means having a desire and a, a tunnel vision of our loves and, 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 and how those loves are focused on what God loves, how our hearts expand and grow in the shape of God's expansive, growing heart. And this, this kind of focus for Jesus says that, that eventually we will no longer have to, as Paul says, see through a, a glass darkly. We will have access, we will have face time with God. When God gets what God wants, we actually might get what we want as well. Jesus offers his own attention, his own affection to each and every one of these folks, and he says, you're blessed. Almost there, almost through this sermon. The peacemakers, that they might be children of God. This might be the most shade-throwing blessing of them all, right? Kind of ironic it comes after Jesus blessing the pure of heart. For one, I wonder if this is one of those cases where some of the young men in the crowd fancy themselves capable of trying to take peace, achieve peace by any means necessary. And it's a reminder that the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. This is an indictment as blessing. Because you can't take peace, you can only make peace. It takes time, and it takes work, and it takes risk. But maybe even more conspicuously, Jesus is throwing shade at the Roman soldiers who I imagine are just stationed just in an earshot, just off the hill, and they're like surveilling the assembly, making sure uh, that Jesus doesn't say anything too crazy. They are keeping the peace. You see, Rome had a program, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that allowed them to give just enough tolerance to all this difference in their territory that keeps subjugated people subjugated. Cross an invisible line and you're met with a swift reprisal. That's how Roman peace works. This was, as the prophets say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And to top it all off, Caesar's favorite title for himself was this downright messianic claim that's on the back of his coin if you forgot, the son of God. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed, it's the peace of Rome. You are the son of God, right? And so uh, I just wonder if some of that irony and Jesus like, like is so wise and crafty and hilarious that, that he might be reminding that peace can't be taken. It can't be merely kept. Peace has to be made. So blessed are the peacemakers. Peace has to be constructed from already existing material that has been arranged in pretty fractious ways. But wholeness is possible. This peacemaking work is for the people who in the process of making peace actually experience some of the fruits of making peace, kinship in this kingdom of God. So to these sons and daughters of God who just, it looks like when they are being sons and daughters of God that they're just being ordinary bridge builders and 
neighbors when they're peacemaking, that they're telling the truth. To them, Jesus says, you are blessed. And lastly, the end and the beginning of this sermon are kind of the same. I don't know if you've recognized that. At least the, the, the reward, the payoff, the blessing is the same. It says, this right here, right now kingdom and our experience of the presence of God in the participation of what God wants. He says, he starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. He ends with blessed are those who are persecuted for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is what happens when God gets what God wants. So how do we anticipate the kingdom? How do we participate in it? I think I've mostly thought about anticipating the kingdom is kind of like acting like it's already here, like almost like pretending, um, even when it isn't. And while there's some truth to that, it, it feels a little too like fake it till you make it uh, to me, right? I wonder if we can learn something about anticipating the kingdom from the great one. I'm not speaking of John the Baptist or some mountaintop monastic sage. I'm referring to the hockey player, Canadian great one, before anyone tossed around frivolously the term goat, Wayne Gretzky was the great one. And maybe I'm a little out on a limb here talking about hockey, I'm from Florida. But Wayne Gretzky was one of the most intuitive and gifted players ever. And he was no secret. Like everyone knew every game he played, he was the best person on the ice, but literally no one could ever stop him. It felt like the puck always found him, and then it normally found the back of the net. And he said, a good hockey player is one who plays where the puck is, and a great hockey player is one who plays where the puck is going to be. This feels kind of instructive to us. Stay with me on this. For Jesus' blessings, that we imagine this present and coming kingdom, and we go to where it is and where it will be. In this kingdom, the current edges or margins or weird, dark, shadowy places are possibly the future's center. To anticipate God's coming kingdom is to welcome God being with us and to go where God finds us and where we can find God. There's kind of a spatiality, like a directionality to all this, this sort of kingdom movement. We find Jesus and we move towards him no matter where we started from. For some of us, that means being lifted up. We, we're too far down to find Jesus. We need to be lifted up and we need to go to him. For some of us, it means being humbled and brought down. Some of us need to move forward. Some of us need to return. Some of us need to settle into a rest right where you already are because you're already pretty close to the kingdom and Jesus is close to you. There, this is dynamic and we don't always stay there. You might be or you might have been close to Jesus, but you are maybe headed in the exact wrong direction from Jesus. There's also time to repent, to turn around. That's what it means. Repent is not like a shame term. It just means turn around. <laughs> the mere presence of Jesus is a comfort and it is a challenge to every single person ever. 
So when we read these blessings and they say, blessed are those who, sometimes we're tempted to say, blessed are we, we're not always the ones to whom these are addressed to. And that's okay. But Jesus promises to be with us and to draw near to us and that we might draw near to those who he's blessing. Nobody has the market cornered on God's kingdom, but God's kingdom is available to all of us. The key is that we always have to find and focus on Jesus. Hebrews says that we have to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. So to anticipate this kingdom, to find it, to get used to it, and to be good at living in it means movement towards Jesus. Movement towards and with these blessed ones. It means an awareness for the ways that we deny these blessings. It means lament and it means action against systems and patterns and personal sin that doesn't align with, quote, what God wants. So we don't make the kingdom happen. We don't wish it or will it into existence, but we learn how to recognize it. We learn how to inhabit it. We learn how to receive it, and we learn how to be in the right places for when it shows up, to receive it without delay. Jesus isn't trying to make us tougher or more resilient or lean or mean or faster or stronger or better. He is offering a blessing for who we are, for where we are, and he's welcoming us towards him. That's the invitation this morning. Wherever you are, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, come towards Jesus. Come close enough to hear his voice and become more and more accustomed to his ways. God's kingdom sets a really low bar. But this low bar might require us to like get on our knees, to open our hands, to, to be unburdened or unclenched or unwound. So to anticipate this sort of kingdom is to lean into where Jesus is and where Jesus is going. It means to refix our eyes on him so that we can return. Not to rest on how close we've been to him if we've been walking past him towards something that seems like it works better for our lives or to make our vision the key. Rather, we need to rest in what Jesus has already called us. Blessed. Beloved sisters and brothers royal heirs in this wacky kingdom. So I want to close with a blessing. Um, Gwen's not here today, but I know she worked on this project with Kate Bowler. Um, this book that is about to come out with a series of blessings for lives that we already have. And this is a blessing. This is the last line in it. And this is a blessing for when you're tired of broken systems. Blessed are we who choose to live in anticipation, our eyes scanning the horizon for signs of your kingdom. Heaven come down as we wait and hope and act with courage. Y'all pray with me. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this close and present kingdom. We give you thanks for not being stingy with blessings. We give you thanks for 
uh, a community full of people who you bless in so many different ways and can be blessings to us. Open our eyes and ears, our hearts and our hands. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.